0: Reds, it's my podcast i'm brian castle welcome to it back on the show today is tyler king again he is the founder of less annoying crm and in today's conversation we got into all aspects of growing a team in a software company i think they're up to around 20 people over there at at a less annoying hq which is an actual physical hq in st louis missouri <laughs> Hey, here's my real-time-ish update for you, and I'm recording this one on May 6th, 2024. First, I just want to say that once and for all, the name of this podcast, I'm sticking with the name Open Threads. (laughs) You may have noticed I had briefly renamed it there uh, in early 2024. I was using the name Full Stack Founder. Well, long story short, I'm sunsetting that brand name and that website it was a short-lived project that just didn't quite stick. So this podcast is back to its original name, Open Threads, from here on out. Okay, so uh, my... So as for my update, uh, you know my main focus now continues to be instrumental products. That is my product studio where I partner with clients mainly on UI and UX work. And uh, I specialize in designing modern interfaces for SaaS companies. And I deliver my designs in the form of coded HTML and Tailwind CSS templates and components. So that's the, uh, the main um, service that I've been working with a couple of clients lately on. And uh, it's something that I continue to, uh, to really double down on the rest of this year. Other than that, I'm spending the rest of my time building out some new software products of my own to uh, to add to my small portfolio. My main SaaS product, Clarity Flow, continues to run smoothly uh, with my small team, and we're always working on some imp- improvements there. So that's my update for now. On to the show. <laughs> So we talked about the trade-offs between remote and, and hiring in-house, and it was actually interesting to hear why they chose St. Louis. They, they intentionally chose to build their company in St. Louis specifically for the people there, which was interesting. Another part of this conversation, which I really found interesting, is this fellowship program that Tyler and his company have put together. For people who are brand new to, or not even in the industry yet, they're just sort of exploring it and underrepresented minority groups in this industry, which as we all know, is definitely a thing that companies struggle with to grow a diverse workforce. They've been able to grow a really unique fellowship program to introduce potential people to this industry. If they're kind of interested in tech, this is a perfect opportunity for them to actually come into a real company in the real world learn and see what it's like and that is the first step toward building a career in this industry so they've been able to do that as a successful SaaS. it's been super cool to watch so yeah i asked them all about how that's actually structured and how they do it and and sort of the benefit that they and like the win-win nature of all that for now let's talk to tyler about people tyler king Great to have you back on the show here.
1: Yeah, thanks. Good to be here. So,
0: you know, another thing that I think is interesting about what you've been uh, been talking about on on your podcast, which, by the way, I definitely highly recommend. I'm going to talk about it in the intro, but startup, startup to something or startup to last, startup to last. Um, yes, it's definitely one of my favorite bootstrapper podcasts because you guys really get into like the, the nitty gritty, which, which is good. I, I want to talk to you just in general about building a team. As a software company we mm-hmm. we got into it a little bit in the, in the last episode but i think we're actually like total opposites in a bunch of ways in, when it comes to our teams you know but this is the first time that i'm starting to really grow like a software focused company all my stuff before has been like a productized service and like i come from the world of a have always been 100 percent remote like even today our small team on zip message we are literally in five different continents now which is Yeah, that's wild but in audience ops actually most of the team we were like 25 people almost all of them were us-based but all remote but i always lean heavily on contractors even like what you might consider like close to like part-time employees but like they're they're contractors and and they are like decidedly like I'm a I'm a freelancer, but I want a couple of really good retainers that are just long-term, you know? And that's mm-hmm. that seemed to work well. But yeah, why don't we start off, like what's the makeup of your team these days?
1: Yeah, so we're 19 people plus we do have one contractor, but that's because we tried to hire her full-time and she didn't mm-hmm. want to. So she kind of had all the onboarding of a full-time employee. So you can kind of think of it like 20. And yeah, it's the team is, I want to say something like, eight crm coaches or customer service people uh eight me sales biz dev person and a marketing person so it, it's not like the normal breakdown you'd ha- normally if you go on other companies websites and like see who they've got it's like half marketing and sales normally so we're way under invested in that but over invested in customer service probably
0: what, what do you call it is it the like an apprenticeship program or in- intern program
1: Yeah, we call it a coding fellowship, which is not a very self-evident name, but uh, we wanted it to look fancy on a resume so that people would be inclined to apply for it, basically.
0: (laughs) And so, those are 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 those like paid? Yeah. Down there.
1: Yeah. So we've done a lot of internships in the past, and internships are great. But the problem is, like, for someone to get to the point where they can get an like an internship as, say, a software engineer, they already have to overcome a lot of hurdles, which are it's easier for you know people from certain backgrounds to achieve that than others. So we kind of wanted to say, well, how do we hire a more diverse group of people? If every single like college junior majoring in computer science, not every single one, but the vast, vast majority all kind of share similar backgrounds. And so the coding fellowship is basically what, like, what if you had something for the year before an internship? So for someone who knows they want to get into tech, they haven't quite figured out how to overcome those hurdles yet. And we're just kind of the stepping stone for them to get an internship the next year. And so it is paid, but they're not working for us. It's about them learning and building an app for themselves. Yeah. So there's a lot of like curriculum to it. There's like lessons and stuff, but then they also pick, everyone picks their own project and and we help them build it. That's
0: that's super cool. I want to come back to that in just a minute, but just let's just stick with like generally like building a team around a software company. So you guys have been around for like over 10 years and- is is your entire team local? You're you're in St. Louis, right? St. Louis,
1: yeah. So we started. I was in San Francisco, and my brother, who's the other co-founder, was in Boston. And then we hired a few people remotely. So we actually started out fully remote. And then and is, is your brother like in in the business, like day to day, with you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's not like in a people management role. He's an individual contributor, but yeah, he's full time DevOps person. Oh, awesome! And he's technical. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so we're like really misaligned for what you'd want founders to be. Like I am a software engineer by trade and I'm the less technical one. So we basically have nothing on the sales, marketing, all that stuff we've got no expertise in. That
0: would be super cool to be in a business with with my brother, but he and I professionally are complete polar opposites. You know, like (laughs) I'm I'm on the internet software. My brother runs a farm. He has 40 cows. (laughs) They they do milking and yogurt and cheese and yeah he's he's getting his hands okay, but, dirty every day yeah. but
1: hear me out here this <laughs> my dream has always been not like my my one ultimate dream but something I've always wanted to do is find we talked about this a bit in the last episode like a domain expert who knows this thing that software engineers know nothing about mm-hmm. I bet he could give you some pretty interesting insights about software or technology that farmers could use
0: yeah yeah for sure I mean and that I mean talk about it like a niche I mean that's a, yeah. And actually I,
1: my cousin-in-law builds software for farmers and yeah it sounds like a nice niche to be in actually yeah, anyway yeah, i realize sure. that's the, the only thing is <laughs> like most farmers
0: are like dead broke but.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah true
0: <laughs> um so it started
1: out just you and your brother building yeah just built it and you know we both kind of did a little marketing i did more than, than he did but we both we just kind of grew it to the point where we could afford to start hiring people brought on a customer service person to, f- to free up our time and then grew from there.
0: Well, so I've been self-employed since 2008 and I've been hiring remotely since the very beginning. In, in the early days I was doing web design consulting, hiring, hiring out other freelancers and then all the different startups over the years. Always, always hired. Mm-hmm. Like I've been a hundred percent remote. I, I've never had a coworker, employee, contractor local in my, in my office. And early on, and this is still the case today, 13 years later, as a bootstrapper, today I'm mostly bootstrapped, but it always starts with a money thing. Like, it's just more cost-efficient to hire remotely. Like, yes, overseas, of course, but then even in the U.S. I mean, I live in Connecticut. A lot of what made audience ops work so well was, like, hiring
1: writers in the Midwest, where living is a lot less than where I'm at, you know? I mean... I hear you i I think that's especially has to be a part of a services business because with with a service business you have to charge the customer more than you're paying the employee and there's a very one to one map for that with software i i don't think that has to be as true like the value you can get from one employee is basically unlimited i mean Mm -hmm. practically speaking it is limited but it's not like a they put in an hour of time i can bill for an hour of time type of thing
0: yeah yeah but even like thinking like the early days of less annoying how large did you grow when you were at the point, like, did you start with a full-time salary? Did you start with a part-time person? Like, what did that look like?
1: Yeah, I want to be clear that, like, where we are now is due to a lack of creativity. Not This was not some grand plan. Basically, we'd gotten enough revenue that either Bracken, my brother, or I could go full-time. Mm-hmm. And we were talking, like, is it going to be you? Is it going to be me? What are we going to do here? And then I forget who suggested, it, but someone was like, you know, we're both pretty comfortable, like making enough to get by and working on the side. What if we just hired somebody else? So it was very much like the tail wagging the dog here where we are like, well, someone's getting a full-time salary, which of us is it gonna be? And then it ended up being a friend of mine, Michael, who came on as our first employee. Oh, okay, so you, you started paying them like before you started like paying yourselves? I was getting some, but yeah, not, mm-hmm. not a full-time. I, I was, our first full-time employee was neither of the founders.
0: Yeah. Very cool. Um, Which
1: I'm not sure I would plan. But, and that, that kind of like informed a lot of other stuff where a a lot of, I don't know, I kind of feel like you can't plan everything. Like the culture mm -hmm. sort of took over from there. Like, why are we in St. Louis? Because after we'd hired three or four people, they were like, I don't want to work remotely, which goes against every narrative, right? That everybody wants to. And so we're like, well, we, we can't hire in the Bay area. Like bootstrapping in San Francisco is an absolutely stupid idea. So we got to move somewhere cheap, and so we moved to St. Louis.
0: Oh, really? So you're not from St.
1: Louis? I am from St. Louis, but I was not planning on moving back aside from that, like, it was time to grow the team. Huh. And and the people that you had at the time, did they move for that,
0: or were they already in St. Louis?
1: So we basically said, anyone who was hired as a remote person, we don't want to, like, bait and switch you, so you can stay remote if you want, or you can move. So two people moved to St. Louis, three people stayed remote, um... Of those three, Bracken is the only one still with the company. And a big part of that is like, even if you love remote work, I think it's not great being one of the few remote workers at a company that's mostly in person.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. And so it was like a conscious decision, clearly, like early on, like, okay, we will need to grow the team as time goes on. Let's just decide to grow it in this city. And Yeah, that's
1: correct. Yeah, we put a lot. And it's not like we just said, well, we're leaving San Francisco. Let's go to St. Louis. We looked at a lot of cities and thought pretty, pretty deeply about it. And it was a combination of like low cost of living, but every city or a lot of cities have that. Mm-hmm. But it was like, what cities have a low cost of living, the right culture for customer service? Because customer service is super undervalued in most tech hubs. And then the final thing was like, what's the pool you recruit from? And there are only a few mid-sized cities in the country with top tier universities and St. Louis is one of them. Mm-hmm. So we were basically deciding between St. Louis uh kind of the raleigh durham area pittsburgh nashville i think baltimore maybe
0: cool yeah that makes sense like the other thing that i'm like always jealous of friends who have successful SaaS with large teams is the in-person like camaraderie and and i hear you talking about doing these like office parties and stuff and like before I, you know, before 2008, I was employed at a at a very small web design shop in New York City, and I used to love like hanging out in person and getting beers with coworkers and and doing things like that. And, and even a lot of our folks in our industries who are fully remote, they do the retreat thing. They they fly everyone in to a fun location, and 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 you do that a couple of times a year. And it's, it's one of my dreams. I would I would love to grow ZipMessage to a point where we can do that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but the but like the reality is like we are so far away from that like financially like being viable that and i used to think there, there was a time not not long ago like in the early days of a zip message where i was like if i'm going to start to grow the team let's try to be close in time zones for logistics but also like i would love to fly everyone or travel everyone to a certain location and, and hang out a few times a year but then ultimately for me that like take the financial stuff out of the picture going remote I'm curious how you think about this. Like it's so much more about the pool of talent out there. I mean, being able to open yeah. it up worldwide or or like at least nationwide, I mean, to me that's like a huge advantage. Not that in-person companies can't overcome it, but like just for example, like like Claire our our marketing coordinator, I I've had so many like in the last episode we were talking about Marketing and how it's so hard and even so hard to hire for. That's one of the hardest things about marketing is hiring people because there are so many quote unquote marketers who you can't like review their code or their design portfolio to know if they're good or not. Yeah. You know? um, and she was like, out of all the applicants that I've had, like she was the only one who I who I sort of know and I've worked with and I and I know is a great fit. Except she's in Australia. You know. Right. So it's like that that kind of is difficult we work around it because we're fully async but like you know she's just the best person available like there there are no other options so it's like yeah yeah
1: i yeah i have a lot of thoughts on this i mean first of all being in a city like st louis you have to acknowledge we are not going to be able to hire domain experts if we have this in-person requirement we have to train people up which is easy-ish for customer service and software engineering, because like, we know how to do those really well. One of the reasons I said we're so understaffed on marketing and sales is like, we don't have anyone with that expertise to then go out and hire and train an entry-level person. So it is tough. Instead, you could be based in New York or San Francisco and just hire people there, but of course it's much more competitive. Um, you're definitely missing out on a ton of talent, even if it is New York or whatever, like a, a huge market you're missing out on the rest of the world. But I mean, there's a pretty clear parallel, I think with how bootstrapped businesses think about their whole business model, which is like, we're going to find a niche and we're going to own that niche instead of trying to play the same game that everybody else does and go mass market. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, you can hire anyone in the world, but also you're competing with every company in the world. Yeah. There are some people in St. Louis who want to work at a good tech company and want to work in person. And there are very few options for them. Yeah, and we kind of own that. I shouldn't say we own that market. We're still a small fish, even by St. Louis standards. But like, there's a lot less competition if you just focus on those people.
0: I could see that. I mean, and and I'm seeing this this interesting. I'm sure you see it too. It, you know, since pandemic times, I'm just seeing a lot more people applying for roles, especially marketing roles, because they're trying to leave a career as a teacher or leave a career mm-hmm. in, in some corporate job to try to find a, a an internet internet based startup that has a role with the the same skill sets even though it's it's completely different it's an opportunity for them to work remotely like i see a lot of that in my applications inbox all the time um but the thing is like the people who are even if they have the right talent and skills they're not necessarily remote working people like that's a certain style of professional to be like comfortable and actually thrive as a remote worker and and asynchronous worker too i find like if you yeah. if you need to be on calls and meetings and in person and that's your thing like it doesn't matter how talented you are you're just not going to work as as a teammate so i wonder in your case like if there's the opposite effect right like local 100 percent people who just seek out in-person roles or you seek people out who like They don't necessarily have to check the box of like being good at remote. They're just great in person.
1: Yeah. And uh, yeah. And I mean, a lot of people hate remote work, not the majority. I I think like I'm talking about a minority, but like double digit percent, Mm -hmm. we just did a three week period. We do this twice a year where three weeks at a time it's fully remote just so people can go travel or whatever. So in August we did that. And one day I remoted in, like I I joined the video call for our weekly meeting and like 12 people were at the office and I was like, what is going on here? You know, you don't have to be there. And they're like, well, we wanted to come in today. Yeah. Um, there are actually people out there counter to the narrative that like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. So if I, if I were making this decision, like I didn't think this through at the time, but if you're going for the in-person route, like we did, you've got to say, well, we need to have a company culture that appeals to those people. It's probably more extroverted people. It's probably like I think a smaller city really helps with this because no one's commute is more than like 15 minutes. Yeah. Whereas, like in the Bay Area, my friends there, they're like, well, I'm on the bus for an hour and a half every day, both ways. That's why they want to work remote. And then the flip side is if I was building a remote team, I'd probably be like, it's probably older people who are more established in life. Like they don't need to make friends and stuff at work. Not like old, old, but you know, married living mm-hmm. in the suburbs type of people are a lot more likely to prefer remote work. I think
0: I find like any, anyone with kids, mm-hmm. it's like a huge benefit to be yeah. remote
1: and probably not coincidental. Like I think the average age less annoying, it's still fairly young, but it's probably like early thirties <laughs> and only two people have kids. Like it's a group that's self-selected into a different lifestyle living in the city. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. wanting more social fulfillment out of work than you you would get remotely.
0: Yeah. One thing I, I've always felt that we miss out on, and maybe this is, it's just not my thing as, as a leader or, or a weakness is, is like building the culture and keeping a strong culture. You know, like I felt it in audience ops and I feel it again in, in zip message now where it's like, we're always talking about work. We have a Slack channel. We try to post some photos of our kids and pets and travel stuff when, when we can. But beyond that, like we don't have much culture here. It's just,
1: Is that okay, though? Like, I've gone back and forth. Like, maybe that's fine. Maybe people don't want to get that type of thing from their work.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I tend to sense, I I haven't run a company myself with this, but from everyone that I speak to, probably you included, is like, you get actual value for the company and for the work by having these friendship relationships grow, right? Or, Or like, when I think about doing a team retreat in the future... It's not mm-hmm. going to be to go work somewhere. It's, it's like, let's just go somewhere to bring everyone in, and we're all just going to have fun for, for two or three days just to have yeah. that, like, bu- build it into the relationship, you know?
1: Yeah, th- yeah, there's definitely some value in that. Uh, yeah, at the same time, there are people out there who, like, if you go on Hacker News and read the comments, there are people who are, who are like, give me my commands. I will do them. Mm-hmm, and, yeah. like, I'm not saying you should... Every company should not be built around that person, but probably, like, there should be a company for that person. Like we've yeah. had interns in the past who are really, really good that we didn't give offers to. And then when someone would call me and say, hey, can you give a recommendation for this person? I'd say, this person will be great in this environment. And I'm like, is that your environment? Yes or no? I think you just, like everyone just needs to decide what they're trying to do.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Hey, real quick.
0: This podcast is sponsored by Instrumental Products. That's my product studio, where I and my small crew, we take new product ideas from concept to launched. I'm a full stack product designer and developer, and I love collaborating with fellow founders, creators, and SaaS companies to bring that spark of energy into new product ideas. Think of instrumental products as your shortcut to shipping that next idea and getting it into the hands of your customers as efficiently as possible. Got something to ship? Let's talk. Visit instrumentalproducts.com to learn more. So, all right, like before we go, I want to hear more about the, now I forgot the name of it, not not the apprenticeship program. The fellowship. the fellowship. Yep. All right. So like you described it a little bit early on, where where are you finding these folks? And what I'm curious about is like, what goes into the work for you and your employees To take time out of their actual work to show them a thing or two or to teach them and 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 all that kind of stuff
1: yeah let me start by just saying i acknowledge up front that this is not a high roi activity and if the reason you're running a business is to maximize shareholder value and exit you probably shouldn't do this but that's not my primary driver anymore um yeah but
0: we have the benefit as as bootstrappers to do things like this right
1: yeah, exactly. And everyone at the company, myself included, gets just gets a ton of fulfillment out of it. So it's worth doing, but it's not not for the money. So yeah, where do we find people? Well, the, the way we structure the program is it's full-time during the summer, like an internship. Very few people who are not current college students can do that. So we've tried looking outside of colleges, but it's like, how many adults with jobs are going to like quit their job for three months to do this? Like yeah. nobody. So we've kind of settled on, okay, it's got to be college students. We've dabbled with... Like, what level of experience should they have? We've hired people for this who, like, literally didn't even own computers and, like, had never, didn't even know the tech industry was a thing, all the way through computer science majors who just weren't experienced enough yet for an internship. We've had a lot more success with the people who are higher up that ladder. I think entrepreneurs like to tell themselves they can solve all the world's problems sometimes, or at least in San Francisco they do. We found that if someone wasn't already pretty close to being in tech, like one summer is not enough time to change their life. And mm-hmm. it all, like they, they love the summer, they get paid, they learn a lot, but then they just go off and none of those people ended up in tech anyway. Whereas last summer we had six coding fellows, three of them coming into the summer said they were majoring in computer science, but they were thinking about dropping out because they were like, I'm not sure this is for me or whatever. At the end of the summer, all six said, I know this is for me. I know I can get a job in tech. So that's amazing. That's where the impact is, I think.
0: That's so cool. Because I, I think about like back when I was in college, you know, and, and I jumped around majors a couple of times and like, yeah, like, and this is partly or a big reason why I'm kind of down on college in, in general these days. Like when I think about my kids growing up, like, is college really going to be important? And because- <laughs> Everything I learned about the web and I didn't major in web design or computer science or anything like that. Like I did audio production. Yeah. But then after college, I got an internship at a web design shop and they paid me for that time. And that took me from amateur to professional. And then I was off and running in that industry from there. Like seeing it in, in real life is like a thousand times more valuable than hearing about it in a classroom, you know?
1: Yeah, when we hire interns, not even fellows, but, like, people who pass a real interview, they come in three years of college experience, don't know how to use Git, have never gotten a real code review in their life. Yeah. They have no idea how deployment works. They have no idea how performance of anything works aside from, like, time complexity and an algorithm. I graduated from Washington University in St. Louis in 2007 with a computer science degree. That's the main school we recruit from now. Mm -hmm. The curriculum has barely changed since two thousand seven. I, I bet,
0: yeah. I was talking to Ben Orenstein on, on this show a couple episodes back about this. And I sometimes regret not getting a CS degree because now I've had to like hack together these back end skills later in my career, which has been fine from a getting to the point of like being able to build a product standpoint. But like I I do lack the deep knowledge that a CS degree of like how it works from from the inside out. I sort of regret that sometimes, but like our industry just moves so fast that yeah. tech like you're just not going to see the real stuff and same is true on, from the business side too like
1: learning yeah, how to get
0: customers and and all that like and hiring like you don't learn that in school you know
1: yeah a business degree is about how to succeed working at a giant fortune 500 company yeah. it's not like how about... to work
0: a spreadsheet like
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> if i can give a quick shout out so cuz a good chunk of our dev team do not have a traditional background in computer science there's a book called The Imposter's Handbook, which uh, I don't know if you've heard of it, but a number of people, including our lead developer, who's the, you know, the strongest developer on the team now, he majored in theater, learned to code at less annoying, and then read that book. And it gave him enough of a foundation that when I talk about computer science concepts with him, I don't feel like I know more than he does. Mm.
0: So like, what types of things would, say, one of your actual engineers do
1: to like pull off time and teach one of the apprentices? Yeah, we're trying to get more structured about this. So we kind of made a commitment as a company, well, sorry. Historically the answer has been like there's no system, just be reactive, which isn't how anyone should be, but like if someone if someone needs your time, give it to them. Or is it um, sort of
0: and- like on the apprentice to say like look, like you're going to get out of this what you what you want to get out of it. Like go ask questions, go go be curious, mm-hmm. poke around like that sort of
1: thing? Yeah, there's a lot of that. So I normally run the fellowship and I'm in the process of kind of gradually transitioning to someone else where I like teach lessons, help them like structure the summer and stuff like that. And then each fellow gets paired with one developer as like their technical mentor. That's the person who's going to be like doing code reviews, helping them troubleshoot like, hey, I can't figure out how to do this. How do I do this? So it's a combination of like me doing one-to-many communication and project planning and then Each developer has a mentee and basically, yeah, they submit a pull request, review it. If they ask for help, Hmm. give them help. It's pretty unstructured.
0: Do you actually have them like work on like real parts of the app, even though you might not actually merge their stuff into production? Like let them hack on little features or bugs and, and less annoying? No,
1: we, we do not. And they want to. And I think it would be really good for them to. The thing is, it is a discriminatory program in that it's specifically for people from underrepresented groups. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure of the legality of discriminating when hiring someone and then having them do work for the company. I think that's mm. illegal. So they are not employees. We give them a stipend. It's not like W-2 wages. And we are very careful to make sure they don't do any work for the company so that there could be no confusion about them being employees. Got it.
0: Yeah. Interesting.
1: Super cool, man. But we have hired some of them back as full-timers and as interns the following summer. So, it, you know, it's not our primary recruiting.
0: Yeah. Is that pretty common? Like part of your hiring uh, pipeline? comes.
1: Yeah. I mean, the reality is like, I wish we were growing faster because we could hire more great people than we have openings for Mm -hmm. right now. Speaking of which, if anyone has wants to hire like very entry level people, but that I can vouch for being really high potential, I'd be happy to uh, put you in touch with some people.
0: That's really interesting. You know, Jordan and I have been talking about this on bootstrapped web. You know, Jordan has been talking about this concept of solutions engineer.
1: Right. I heard you talk, you
0: know, someone who, and and I, I do think that this is like a, a role that's emerging, especially if you're doing like sales based or, or high touch onboarding with customers you do need someone with like some technical chops to be able to hook up your new customer's stuff so that they can get active and be successful. You know, I, I feel like it's perfect for like a junior engineer. You know,
1: I agree in a decent number of people who have gone through the fellowship. A lot of them are double majoring. And a lot of times they're like, I'm really glad I learned more coding, but like they look at our developers just sitting behind a computer all day, never talking to anyone. I mean, they talk to their colleagues, but not talking to customers or anything. And they're like, that's not for me. So we've actually had a handful of people that they didn't use these words, but they were basically like, I want to be a solutions engineer. I want to use my technical skills, but not be an engineer as my primary job. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. So interesting. All right, man. Well, we, we've covered so much ground on, on this episode and and the last one we could probably talk all day. Hopefully we'll, (laughs) we'll, you know, get you back on the show here and uh, find some other random topic to, to rant about. Absolutely. Good stuff, man. Well, uh, yeah, it's been exciting, you know, following your, your podcast and, Less Annoying CRM. We'll get everything linked up in the show notes. But yeah, thanks for doing it. Awesome.
1: Thanks. Have a good one.
0: That does it for today's episode of Open Threads. What'd you think? Let me know on Twitter or X. I'm at CastJam, And you can find the full videos for all episodes of Open Threads on the YouTube channel for this podcast. That's youtube.com slash Open Threads. One more thing, I'd really appreciate if you'd give this podcast a five-star review on iTunes. That helps a lot. Thanks for listening. I'll see you on the next one.